In today's show, we are looking at free agents at the power forward position in the NBA, Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today, we are looking at the free agents for the 2020 offseason at the power forward position. As I mentioned uh, the last time I did one of these free agent shows, I'm using the uh, position designations on Spotrack. So some of these guys are definitely centers, um, but that's the way that the positions were designated. So I needed to use some sort of cutoff. But uh, yeah, so the, the guys I'm going to talk about here, looking at them mainly from a, a minutes played perspective, that's the order that they're in. That's not in most important free agent or anything along those lines. But these are 10 guys uh, in terms of most minutes played. Over this last uh, last season, who are going to be free agents again? Trying to trying to look at which players will or will not uh, exercise their player option. So let's talk about this. Uh, the first guy we're going to look at here, and of course, that is Anthony Davis. Now, I fully expect Davis to um, be with the Los Angeles Lakers, but it is most likely he is going to decline that player option and then sign a longer term deal with the Lakers. Now. Things can always change. Things can go awry. Maybe he does pick up the player option and then become a free agent next year. But I think it's more of a fait accompli that he goes and declines this player option and he signs the you know, five-year uh, max extension with the Los Angeles Lakers. So I don't think there's you know, too much um, concern about where Davis is next season or what uniform he's wearing. 27 points per game, almost 10 boards, two and a half blocks, 1.5 steals. Um, over a three-year game, true shooting of 61%. Obviously, a really good season from Davis. He's only 27 years of age. He made $25 million this year. He is going to get a, a max contract. It doesn't really matter if it's with the Lakers or, or with another team. It's going to be someone. I just don't see any other team out there that is going to be that he's going to want to go to, and that is going to yeah, have those funds. I, it just it just appears almost yeah, guaranteed that he is back at the Lakers. That will remain to be seen, of course, once free agency opens. Who knows what goes on in the Orlando bubble? Assuming that even goes ahead, but I do fully expect Anthony Davis to be a member of the Los Angeles Lakers by the time we start next season. The next guy up is Marcus Morris, and this is a little bit different. He is 31 years of age, which I think people will be somewhat surprised with. He made $15 million a year, $15 million this year, signing with the Knicks on that one-year deal after he was a real uh, prick and uh, and dicked around the Spurs, made them trade away Davis Bertan so he could leave and go to the Knicks for one year, got traded to the Clippers. And let's be honest, he's significantly overrated as a player. I, I will continue to state this. Morris did average 17 points per game in 31 minutes this season, um, mainly because he was getting a ton of usage with the Knicks, and he was shooting better than ever before. And maybe that shooting can continue, 41% from three, but I'm not convinced of it. I think his defense is highly overrated. He doesn't generate much in terms of defensive numbers. He shot a ton of threes. Uh, 43% of his shots were from beyond the arc. Now, is he going to be in demand on one or two-year deals? Like, absolutely is. The Clippers, I think, would love to bring him back. And some of that may depend on how things go in this uh, in this postseason coming up. But he is a player that is going to be in demand. But again, age 31, 
a guy whose numbers have been somewhat inflated the last two years, especially this year with the Knicks. I do think he played pretty well uh, with his time in Boston, but not not the greatest of players. And the reputation of Morris, I believe, is, again, somewhat inflated around the league. Not the guy that I think many people assume him to be. Um, it still remains to be seen how he actually fits in with this Clippers team. We saw a very limited sample size of uh, of him playing there, of course, before the uh, coronavirus-induced league shutdown, we didn't get to see we didn't get to see a huge amount of how he would fit in next to Kawhi Leonard, next to Paul George, on that team. So that that still is up in the air and remains to be seen. But he is going to get a contract of over ten million dollars. I feel pretty confident about that in in the off season. But it would probably only be a one or two year deal. He only played three hundred and forty one minutes for the Clippers. He was a negative point one three in terms of his PIPM, and he was a plus 4.9 on-off. So it's a pretty strong number, but of course, really, really limited playing time for Marcus Morris in the uh, in the season so far. We have a new sponsor, and it's great to welcome the guys from Magic Spoon on board. Many of you, especially those of you listening who have kids, know how hard it can be to get nutritious breakfasts, especially breakfast cereals, which are often really jam-packed full of sugar. Well, Magic Spoon, completely different scenario. Zero sugar, high protein, only three net grams of carbs in every serving. They have four fantastic flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It tastes amazing, and honestly, it, it looks like it is too good to be true. So if you're looking to get your kids breakfast food that is low in sugar, and not by low in sugar, I mean zero sugar, Magic Spoon is the way to go. Try it out. You will not be disappointed because Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com slash NBA to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code NBA at checkout to get free shipping. That's magicspoon.com slash NBA and use the code NBA for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Next guy up on our list here, we're looking at the table, Montrez Harrell, who, again, 100% is a center. He is not a power forward, and I would be stunned if he's played more than like 10 minutes as a power forward this season. But again, this is where he was designated. He is an unrestricted free agent, Harrell, who I think it's fair to say was a little bit disappointing this season, especially from a fantasy point of view. Only barely cracked the top 100. 28 minutes, 19 points. A really high usage backup center. Seven boards, but low block numbers, low steal numbers. Doesn't hit free throws really well. Doesn't hit threes. Doesn't pass the ball. There are concerns in his game. They're not disastrous concerns. And he was second in this team in terms of minutes. But only a plus 0.2 on-off is not a great number. For Harrell, a plus 0.8 PIPM, which is okay, but he is like fourth or fourth on this team in terms of win added, wins added behind Kawhi, Beverly, and George, and marginally ahead of Ivica Zubats, despite playing 600 more minutes. Um, Harrell is going to get a big contract. He made $6 million this year. He's 26 years of age. The Clippers, I'm pretty sure, will look to bring him back. But for how much is the big question? Because I think what he does is useful. I also think that Doc Rivers tends to overextend him, playing him you know, 23, 22 minutes in a row, often in the second half. And his defensive deficiencies, which are significant, and his inability to protect the rim are all concerns. I could see teams like Charlotte going after him, putting him in a 31, 32-minute-a-night role, being really good offensively. But does that actually make sense 
in terms of helping their winning. It probably does, actually, if we think about it and look at Charlotte's team and their center situation. But Harold, to me, is a guy, again, that you want playing 25 minutes a night. If he plays 35 minutes a night, he will put up good numbers. There's no doubt about that offensively. But will he be a guy that leads to big wins because of the way you have to deal with him defensively? The other players you have around, and that makes him not the greatest fit for every team. In Atlanta, I don't think he would make sense there. Charlotte, as I said, that that would make sense. And he's going to make, yeah, probably close to $17, $18 million in a normal offseason. We still don't know what the hell's going to go on in this offseason. So that leads us a lot of questions with where Harrell sits. Would he fit in Detroit, depending on what happens with a certain bloke that we're going to talk about on this list a little bit later on? Yeah, I think that they would be yeah, interesting. But the combination of him and Blake Griffin in that front court, yeah, that defensively is going to be rough. I could see him working in Miami. Um, the fit with Bam is maybe a little bit questionable, but Adebayo is a great defender, and they do like to have a stretch guy there, hence Kelly Linick and Myers Leonard playing those minutes. Um, Phoenix behind DeAndre Ayton, could they play together? Ugh, no, Aaron Baines is in that role. I think that probably works a little bit better than there. I could see the Knicks really looking to overpay despite having Mitchell Robinson in that, uh, in that position. And Mitch Robinson says, I'll take it from here. But I think the big danger to overpay is going to be the Hornets. The Clippers will like to bring him back. I don't think they'd want to be spending $20 million a year on Montrez Harrell, and that could lead him to go somewhere else. He's unrestricted, and that contract was pretty small. The last one he was on, $6 million. I do really fear with Harrell that I think there's a real chance he goes somewhere else, and the Clippers aren't afraid to make big calls. They traded Tobias Harris. They traded Blake Griffin. And if the value proposition isn't there for Harrell, I think they'd feel okay about giving, well, the front office, not necessarily the coaching staff, because Doc tends to not play things 100% right with that center rotation, in my opinion. But I could see them throwing a guy like uh, Fyundo Cabengele into a, a larger role as a bit of a stretch big, giving four or five extra minutes to Ivica Zubats as a defensive big, alongside George, Leonard, the aforementioned Marcus Morris, if they bring him back. Going to be hard to bring back both Marcus and uh, and uh, Montrezl Harrell, especially considering Marcus Morris does not have bird rights. That's going to be tough for the Clippers. They would almost assuredly have to get rid of Montrezl Harrell in that scenario to bring Marcus back. So that's that's going to be a harder thing to uh, accomplish for them. Um, so I'm a little bit worried about Harrell's place on this Clippers team. Because again, I think that Doc really likes what he does, and he is superb as a big High usage scoring guy. Like 19 points per game as a backup center is really, really strong. Like high high usage stuff, but defensively, the lack of production is a real issue. And again, that salary could become almost out of, not out of their price range, but ha hampers what they're going to do with other free agents, such as Marcus Morris. And which one of those guys is more important? Well, one's five years younger in Harold. But in terms of you know, guys out there playing, I, I think the cheaper price you get Morris for and what he provides might actually be more useful. I'm not sure about that. And maybe I'm completely underselling Harold here, which is a possibility. But I think there's a real chance he goes somewhere else, plays more minutes, puts up good scoring numbers, but does lack in some of those other areas. So he is one of the most intriguing players to me in this upcoming free agency period. 
Next up is Serge Ibaka again, who a guy who was 100% a center uh, listed as power forward because apparently seven years ago he was a power forward. $21.6 million, 31 years of age, unrestricted free agent. It doesn't seem right to me that Ibaka is the same age as Marcus Morris, but that's where we are. Ibaka, I thought, had some solid moments this season, especially when Marcus Sol was out. He was the 81st ranked player in fantasy. He played 28 minutes a night. There was some crossover with Gasol. It wasn't a huge amount. 16 and 8. But one thing we remember uh, Serge Barker uh, as being is that guy who blocks a ton of shots. That is not Serge Barker anymore. His block numbers are they're actually frighteningly low when you consider where he used to be. This is a guy who at his peak in his second season, third season, had a block percentage of almost 10%. He is down under 3% now, 2.9%. That is a staggeringly low number. Staggering. Per 100 possessions, he blocked 1.5 shots. Per 36, 1.1. And those pure raw numbers, he didn't even block a shot per game. He hasn't been at over 1.5 blocks per game since the 16-17 season, where he averaged 1.6. The days of Serge Ibaka rim-protecting shot blocker are gone. He's also really reduced his three-point attempt rate, which at some point in his uh, Oklahoma City uh, career was way up. was getting to like 38 37%. He went down to 19 last year. He's back up to 26 this season, but he's not bombing the threes like he used to. He's not hitting the threes with as much vigor, although he is at 40% this year, but the volume is way down. Um... There are some worries about it. Now, I think he has played better as a center. I feel better with saying that, but the team was significantly better with other centers on the court. Minus 3.6 on off, mainly because Marcus Gasol's a better player than him. You are, you do not want to play, pay Serge Ibaka 21.6 million. And with both Gasol and Ibaka free agents in Toronto, you feel like one of them is going to go, and you feel like one of them is going to be Serge. Now, they could bring him back, but it would want to be on a significantly cheaper deal. Three years, $15 million, take him to age 34. Or is Masai, like like Jerry West in the Clippers and Lawrence Frank, are they just going to say, well, thanks for your time, Serge. We won a championship. We don't really see um, the benefit in having you around at that price unless you're signing a minimum deal. Uh, I'm not sure the value is there. He is not, I don't think, a player you'd want to rely upon as a starting center, a center platoon type of a guy. Sure. But I wouldn't want to be paying over $10 million a year for Serge Barker at this point in his career. For as good as he's been, he just isn't that same guy. And I think he's, again, somewhat uh, of an overrated player in terms of uh, his production. And again, according to basketball reference, he's played 3% at power forward over the last two years. So not a power forward, pretty clearly. But 100% a center. And that's where his value is. But if you're not, you're not protecting the rim anywhere near as much as you were then I think we have to take out of our head what Serge Ibaka used to be and uh, and look at what he actually is now. If you want to get some things into your head, and not the fact that Serge Ibaka is not a rim protector, but great information from a ton of non-fiction books, Blinkist is the best way to do that. What it does, it works on your phone, your tablet, your laptop, and it gets non-fiction books and condenses all the key takeaway points down into 15 minutes. Whether that's listening for 15 minutes or reading a 15-minute summary of those books, successful people get that information and they learn from it, and Blinkist is a great way to do it in a time-poor environment. You can get books like The Virgin Way, Everything I Know About Leadership by Richard 
Branson or The Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson. And with Bleakist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed non-fiction books. All the books you want and all for one low price. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. The next guy here on our list, we're looking at Jabari Parker, who played a pretty significant role with uh, the Baptist Johnny Collins out for Atlanta. And then they played him big minutes. He was scoring well. And then even before Collins returned, Atlanta went, you know what? Yeah, I don't think you're actually that good, Jabari. And that's been the case for Jabari over the last couple of seasons. He can come in and he can put up numbers. We saw him do that a little bit with Washington last season. He had opportunities in Chicago. But overall, what he does as an NBA player at this point is just not that good. He was traded as part of the Dwayne Dedman deal. He had, did have an injury at that point, but only played 15 minutes for Sacramento, one game. Scored four points, and I don't expect him to be a part of that rotation when they resume play in Orlando, assuming that everyone else is healthy on that team. You've got Bagley, you've got Holmes ahead of him, you've got Bielitsa ahead of him uh, as a power forward. I just don't see um, Parker as being a, an NBA-level player. Now, I put him in here because... Not NBA level player, a starter caliber player. He does have a player option because Atlanta foolishly gave him a two-year deal with a player option. Now, there is a... If I was him... Let's, let's phrase this again. If I was Jabari Parker and I was all 30 NBA GMs, I would pick up that player option because there is no way as one of the 30 or all of the 30 NBA GMs, I would be paying him anything more than the minimum at this point. But I'm not all 30 NBA GMs, and I'm neither am I Jabari Parker or his agent. So there is going to be teams like Chicago, like Atlanta, who might get fooled into thinking, yes, Jabari can actually play despite evidence over the last couple of years. And so much of this with Jabari is knee injury related. Some of it is also the fact that he is just a horrible, horrible defender who appears out of shape quite a bit. But he is a guy that we have to, um, yeah, I guess, divorce ourselves from the reputation and from points per game, and look at what he does overall, because I just think that he can go out there, he can score, but how much does it actually contribute to winning? He played only 33 games this year, 26 minutes. He averaged 15 points. He had a true shooting of 56%. That's not horrible. Only one three per game and 27% is horrible. Uh, Under two assists, six rebounds. Didn't shoot free throws that well. I just didn't think that he was that good. Negative 0.9 PIPM is not a good number. Um, yeah, about neutral on-off for Atlanta, and a lot of that was as a starter. But that one of the telling things is they put him into that role with Collins out, and then before Collins returned, they went, shit, man, this just it's not good. It's not working out, and we need to move you to the bench. Now, maybe I'm being too harsh on Jabari. In fact, I probably am. And he is going to get a deal somewhere, and maybe I could see someone paying you know, another two years or, or even one year seven or eight million dollars. But there's a real chance he picks this up because things have gone so poorly in Chicago and Atlanta and Sacramento. And Washington, I think he he did play pretty well in those 15 or so games that he played there last year. But he also feels like a player that you have to put on a bad team who's not playing for anything and just going to let him chuck up shots so that the numbers look good. 
because overall, I'm not sure that the level of play is quite there for Jabari Parker. So he's an interesting one. He's a bit of a conundrum in that sense because I think watching him play versus looking at just one column in the stat sheet, you can get very different ideas about what sort of a player he is. And depending on how much work these GMs do or what they believe about Jabari, can he be rehabilitated? He's only 25 years of age, but yeah, the last two years have been pretty rough for Jabari Parker. Let's go on to the next guy uh, on this list now. We're looking at Dario Saric, who is a restricted free agent, age 26, $2.7 million he made for Phoenix this season, and he was a real disappointment. He lost uh, his starting job at the end of the season to Nicole Bridges. He should have lost that to him very much early on. And I just think what Saric did this year wasn't, wasn't great. He was pretty poor with Minnesota last year as well. 10 points in 25 minutes. Six boards, two assists, 46 and 83. They're okay percentages. Uh, 34% from three is okay. Um, defensively, he does never he never puts up defensive numbers. But I just, you know, what is, what is Dario Saric? The most success that he had was at the end of his rookie season when Ben Simmons didn't play and when, or Ben Simmons wasn't even there actually, and Joel Embiid was out. And then he really had the ball in his hands and he ran things. No team is going to give him that opportunity. He had a, a really bad negative 1.4 PIPM for the Suns. Not a good number. His on-off was negative 1.4. And out of the top eight players in terms of minutes played for the Suns, the only one of those eight players who was a negative, that's a concern. And especially as a starter, when you're playing with Booker, who's a plus eight, Rubio, who's a plus 11, yeah, Bridges is a plus five, Aiton's a plus three, um, yeah, when you're playing with those guys and you still manage to be negative, there are some real concerns there with Sharich. He has um, he has had you know, his best season was that 17-18 season. The best run he had was the end of his rookie season, but his second year he averaged 15 and seven. He hit two threes. He did it at 39 percent. It's not bad. But defensively, he does struggle. The ball needs to be in his hands, and I'm not sure teams are going to want to give him that opportunity. Ideally, you look at him as a backup power forward, a guy that plays you know 22 minutes or so. And I think yeah, you know, his little run in Phoenix here towards the end of the season, where he did move back into the starting lineup when Ubre was injured, and he started to play okay. He started to look better, but there were some rough, rough moments for Sharich, who um, has struggled. He is up and down. I don't think that he is. I look. I don't think he's completely written off as an NBA starter. If he is a starter, he's a sub-30 minute a night starter. But he is like a good seventh man who can come in and play your 21 to 24 minutes and be an okay three-point shooter, be a pretty solid passer, be probably a below-average defender, if not worse than that. Um, and the way that he needs to be successful is not the way that teams are going to be successful, and that's having the ball in his hands. I don't think that necessarily leads to successful teams. So that's sort of where we're sitting with big old Dario Saric. Paul Millsap, the next guy on my list, $30 million he made this year. He's 35 years of age. I've got him there as, I said, restricted free agent. He's absolutely not. He's an unrestricted free agent. Millsap, uh, minutes were down as the Nuggets managed him and were able to use uh, Jeremy Grant in that role. One of those guys, or both of those guys for Denver is going to go because they, theoretically, want Michael Porter to fit into that role. Millsap played 24 minutes, averaged 12 and 6, a steal, half a block, 49 and 83, shot 44% on threes at two and a half attempts per game, which is a really strong number, obviously. Um, but at this point, 
Millsap is a missing piece type guy for a contender. He's not a guy that a rebuilding team is going to say throw 35-year-old Millsap 30 minutes a night. This is the role he has. This 24-25 minutes, I think that the Nuggets should be looking to bring him back um, on a greatly reduced deal, $30 million he got this season, or other contenders would want to look to see if they can bring him back on you know, mid-level exception type money, whether that's yeah, $7 million, $10 million, whatever it is, I think they should look to that. But if Denver wants to pivot to the future and bring Jeremy Grant back, who the wild difference between Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap on PIPM is huge. Uh, plus 2.34 for Millsap and negative 3.13 for Grant. That is a wild, wild difference. And then there is, you know, trying to throw Porter into that mix. Something has to give there. One bloke is 35, Millsap. One guy's 21, Porter, or 22. And Grant is like 26. So with the core of that team, despite how well Millsap fits this, this squad, you, you think he's in real danger of not being around. And I, I don't think that all three of those guys, Millsap, Grant, and Porter, are going to be on this Nuggets roster next season. I think that you could... You know, is Millsap worth $15 million this season? Yes. For next year, where he's going to be 36? <sighs> I'm not really sure that that's going to be the case. And the drop-off, yeah, there's already been a drop-off, but yeah, a further drop-off defensively could really be an issue for him. If that's not there, then there is going to be some real concern. So he is a, an interesting player who's really good and fills that role nicely, but you don't want to overextend him. I think it's got to be a good team. And that's, again, in his point of his career, he probably wants to go to a good team. And that fit in Denver is interesting, but with how everything lines up with these other players, I think that he may be a chance to be on the uh, on the chopping block. Let's go to another member of the Utah Jazz, a guy that, again, is 100% strictly a center, and that is Derek Favors, who made $19 million. Favors, amazingly, only 29 years of age. Uh, it's, it is staggering that Favors is only 29 years of age. He played just 24 minutes a night this year, averaged nine points, but had 10 boards and a block and shot 62%. And one of the things about him, the injuries we know. There was talk of how much he struggled in the, in the preseason, but when he played, the Pelicans were good. In fact, they were really good. He was an absolutely massive, massive piece of this team getting back into uh, consideration before Zion Williamson arrived. He leads this team in PIPM by a staggering margin, well, not staggering, by a significant margin, point, uh, plus 2.31, an absolutely huge number. His on-off is second only to Zion. Zion's at a plus 8.5, Favors at a plus 7.1. Now, that combination of those two is probably not the greatest. It also worked pretty bloody well. And when they were out there, having Favors, who is an unbelievably good defensive player and an efficient offensive player out there, I, I think was, not I think, I know was really you know, part of the reason why this team was able to get back into the discussion of being uh, a, a, a Fantasy, or not fantasy, a, a playoff type team, or a, a team that we're looking at that's in this discussion for the bubble. They, the, the 311 minutes that Zion and Favors played together, it's only 311 minutes, but the offensive rating was 116, the defensive rating was 99.7. That is a net rating, for those of you who don't have a calculator on hand, of over 16 in 311 minutes. And while the combination theoretically doesn't work because of the shooting, it worked. And it worked in a really, really good way. Favors only played the 45 uh, games, tw uh, 24 minutes. I think 
yeah, Jackson Hayes isn't quite ready. The Pelicans, there is that worry with the shooting and playing Zion at center. And we saw Favors' minutes start to reduce as they were playing a, a bit more Nicola Melli towards the end of the season. But he was still 24 to 26 minutes, and I think that's probably the right role for him. It worked next to Zion. Ideally, long-term, you want to play Zion as a center, even though he's not that big. But Favors was so good that teams are going to be looking at him. That 19 million he probably doesn't get, but a two-year $20 million, maybe a partial guarantee in that second year, would make sense to me. Um, again, supremely underrated by a lot of NBA fans, and I thought he was really, really good this year. Next player up on the list it is the Crucifix, Christian Wood, another guy that's exclusively a center, was remarkably good for this team, has always put up good per-minute numbers, um, but when Drummond was traded and when uh, Blake Griffin was out, we saw big numbers from uh, Christian Wood. There's no doubt about that. He made a $1.6 million this season. And there was talk at the beginning of the season that the Pistons would keep Joe Johnson instead of him. Yeah, cool. That obviously wasn't going to happen. Or it's, oh, that's not true. It should never have been even up for discussion. I was worried uh, for you know, three, three, four months of the season that Dwayne Casey wouldn't play Christian Wood because he hadn't shown that he was trusting him. And even early in the year, when Drummond went out, Wood wouldn't start. In fact, the first game that Christian Wood... Sorry, he started one game the 5th of January, and the second game he started off that was the 7th of February, which was when yeah, Andre Drummond was traded. And then he went absolutely bananas. As a starter, he averaged 22-9 and with 1.73s, 0.8 blocks, a true shooting of 65%, hit 41% of his threes on over four attempts per game. They are really, really good numbers. Nobody can have any sort of denial about that. But I worry that the, the usage there, which was at 26%, it came without Derek Rose and without Blake Griffin. Wood was the best player on those Pistons teams for nearly all of that time. And I'm just not sure he's going to get that much of an opportunity. Now, he was a plus 2.8 PIPM, which is a massive number. Easily the best player on this team in terms of those metrics by far. Defensively, he was strong. Offensively, he was good. But he's probably a better offensive center than he is a defensive center. Uh, I think he's going to get a pretty significant payday by Detroit, whether that's you know, three years, 45. I could see them paying that. But I just think we have to look at what he did this year under the lens of Blake being out and Rose being um, out as well. Now, Rose and Griffin are not long-term features on this team. Rose is almost definitely, I would say, getting traded next season with one year left on his deal. Griffin, he's claiming he's going to be healthy, but we cannot trust that at all. He's going to be around. But maybe you do look at Wood as this guy. I think he's going to get a big payday. I think we, he might get a little bit overpaid, and we might see his numbers decrease at the start of next season. But I think we're looking more to the 21-22 season to see him really uh, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. The last guy on my list... Markeith Morris, 31 years of age, $1.8 million. He was a guy that was playing and was actually playing over Christian Wood at points this season. Uh, he's gone to the Lakers now. He is, you know, he, he signed that. He was waived and bought out by the Pistons. $1.8 million for the Lakers. I, I think he's probably going to be around that minimum type player on a solid enough team. Weirdly enough, he was the better Morris twin for majority of his career. He isn't anymore. He's had a lot of neck injuries, which have been a problem for him. He averaged 10, uh, 10 points in 21 minutes this season. He did shoot 38% from three, and he's happy bombing away from out there over four attempts per game. 
that has some value as a guy that can play center, a guy that can play power forward. I think you want to look at him as a contending type on a contending team. But whether he, like his brother, wants to go for that extra money like Marcus did going to the Knicks last season, then he goes to another team, probably hijacks their offense a little bit, struggles somewhat defensively, and doesn't look great. So I'm not massively keen on where he's going to go. But he is at least worth mentioning. So they are the guys that I wanted to talk about there uh, with this list. You've got other guys like Frank Kaminsky, who's got a team option. He was not that good this season. Bobby Porter's got a team option. They'll probably pick that up. Jermichael Green's got a player option, as does James Johnson, who will almost definitely pick up his player option in Minnesota. And there's also uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez uh, for the Minnesota Timberwolves, who I think looked all right as a starting power forward, but they would look, I would imagine, to upgrade that position probably in the draft. That'll do it for today's show, guys. Don't forget to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. And give me a follow on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. See ya.